Isn't it wonderful to eat Jesus? To drink the Spirit? To be saturated with God? And to express Him corporately in glory? The general subject for our conference is becoming the reproduction of Christ for the corporate expression of the triune God. Regarding the eternal Godhead, there cannot be reproduction or change because the Godhead is unchanging, immutable. But the eternal God has a plan and arrangement called his economy to work himself in Christ as the spirit into millions of chosen and redeemed people to fill them with Christ and to be expressed gloriously through them. This is carried out by our becoming in God's economy the reproduction of Christ, not as the only begotten Son, but as the firstborn Son. And this reproduction takes place first as unbelievers hear the gospel, are infused by God with the ability to believe. They believe into the Son of God, they believe that God raised him from the dead. They're born of God, baptized, and added to the church. Then the reproduction becomes an inward process of Christ increasing in us by being revealed in us, living in us, being formed in us, and making his home in us. And the goal and the result of such an inward increase in reproduction of Christ is the corporate expression of the triune God. And that is what we mean by building. Building is the corporate expression of God in Christ. The first word in the general subject is becoming. So none of us this morning should be distraught or discouraged if we're not rapture ready by noon. (laughs) But we can be encouraged with the realization we are becoming. We are growing. We are in a process. Parents of young children, they don't have the unrealistic expectation that one morning their daughter or son will be a mature adult. What they want to see and what comforts them 
is the gradual growth and development of their daughters and sons. So I emphasize the ing part, becoming. I can tell you in the Lord's presence that Christ especially, we'll see this probably tomorrow morning, in his ministry in the stage of intensification, can accomplish a lot in a month, in a week, sometimes even in a day. What he does, how he does it, when he does it, that's up to him. On our part, we present ourselves to him day by day to be in this process of becoming. We began to see last night, and we'll continue to see this morning, what kind of Christ is being reproduced in us. This is a real, living, wonderful person who has certain characteristics, attributes, virtues, and ways of living. And we began with the impression that the Christ who is being reproduced in us is a Christ who is absolutely for God in every way, at every time, in every situation. So having such a Christ become ours experientially means this Christ is able to take upon himself all of our weaknesses, defects, Shortcomings, especially the basic shortcoming that we are not for God. He takes this upon himself and then he applies himself to us as the one who is for God. But we independently of him will never be for God and never have anything for God. Everything we are becoming, we are becoming in Christ through our union with him. So I'm looking at several hundred beloved brothers and sisters in whom dwells the Christ who is absolutely for God. Just let him Expand in you. Let him touch you. Then this Christ is the one whom I call the will of God man. He knew God's will. His life was directed by God's will. He used his faculty of deciding to choose to set aside his own interests and self-will, or at least human will, to always choose what God wanted. The Christ who lives in us, who is being formed in us, 
who is reproducing himself in us is a person who always seeks God's will, whatever it is. So we begin here with this foundation increasingly laid in our being that we have a person in us, another person who is the life-giving spirit is in us wanting to live again in us the way he lived on earth as the son of man. And wanting to make us the same as he is in every possible way. There's a limit. That's the Godhead. That's an object of worship. And he wants to do this so that he may have a wife, a bride, a counterpart. And that God the Father may have a realm, a kingdom for his glorious expression. This morning we come to the Gospel of John, and in due time, whenever due time is, we'll go through the outline properly, but first I need to just present something according to the Spirit's present flowing, hopefully to give us a fresh, enlarged picture of this gospel. And I begin with our brother John because realizing what God did in him may be quite comforting to us. We're rather familiar with Peter because he's so out there. He's so bold, almost audacious. And so we're impressed with how this bold, assertive fisherman brother was gained by the Lord. But it's also helpful to put together certain things the New Testament shows us concerning John as John. And then we'll see John as a God-man. We know John was ambitious. He and his brother, backed by Mama, came to the Lord worshiping with a motive. Lord, we like that. We have a request. What do you want me to do for you? Oh, we want to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in the kingdom. Forget the other ten. (laughs) And I don't know if I'll ever be able to converse with John and test this theory, but my thought is John is saying in his heart, me on the right, you (laughs) on the left. That is blatant ambition. And then we know from another portion how impetuous, how emotionally powerful he was 
when they learned that some Samaritans were disregarding the Lord, would not receive him. And John again with James came to the Lord with a request. Lord, how about we call fire down on them? I mean, that, that's, that's strong. I mean, when was the last time you prayed for God to roast somebody <laughs> that rejected your gospel testimony? That, that, boy, that is a strong natural life. Then in Mark 9, the Lord come, uh, John comes to Jesus again expecting to get some kind of bonus point, some kind of credit. He said, Lord, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, but he's not with us. So we told him to stop. Wasn't that wonderful? (laughs) Then the Lord, you read the end of Mark 9, he really gave John some definite perfecting. Oh, he was not against us, is for us. Then he talked about being salted with fire and having peace with one another. So here is John as John, admittedly intuitive, somewhat thoughtful person. Yes, he's leaning on Jesus' breast, but ambitious, impetuous, and narrow. Because his ministry, his portion of the ministry, was a mending ministry that took much, much longer to develop and manifest. In John's case, 50 years. But when you read his gospel, you read his epistles, you can't detect him. He's altogether transparent. The divine reality is manifested. The divine light is shining. Instead of ambition, he ministers to us the Christ who laid aside his garments and washed the disciples' feet. Instead of impetuosity, he ministers the God of life and peace. Instead of narrowness, he can say on God's behalf, God so loved the world, the whole human race. So our brother John, who even though he was the last of the original apostles, when he received the visions recorded in Revelation, simply called himself your brother. John, your brother. I'm just your brother. And I'm your companion in the kingdom, in the tribulation, in the endurance in Jesus. 
So God only knows what John had to pass through, perhaps beginning with the brutal martyrdom of James, his brother, in his youth, living a long life of martyrdom with an if, covering it, because the Lord said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? 30 years after the others were martyred, John still has to continue his journey. You think it was easy? To be alone, as Brother Nee says regarding deputy authority, the eagle flies alone. But he continued because through him, the Lord wanted to release the last gospel, almost the last epistles, and the last book. And what happened in him will happen in you. It doesn't matter how we are at the beginning. Everything depends on how we are at the end. We are becoming. So John eventually, in a challenging environment involving heretical teachings, he presented his gospel. And here are some of the basic points concerning the gospel of John as we are looking at it concerning the reproduction of Christ for the corporate expression of the triune God. Here we have God becoming a human being, the word becoming flesh, to accomplish redemption and then to release and to impart the divine life into God's redeemed people and to build them up as the corporate expression of God, as the bride, as the kingdom, and as the Father's house. So in the beginning, Christ is the Word. He is God himself. At the end of the process, he is breath. What is this? The eternal triune God in the all-inclusive Christ as the Son passes through a process involving incarnation, human living, crucifixion, and resurrection to become so accessible as breath knowing that this breath includes all that the triune God in Christ is, has, has accomplished, and will accomplish. What a process. To make us the reproduction of the Christ revealed in the Gospel of John. 
Okay, I may be breathless by the time I try to summarize this. I asked some brothers earlier this morning if they could remember a time in a church meeting when we sang from beginning to end hymn 187. When you have opportunity, please read through all 26 stanzas, 26. And the hymn unveils the all-inclusive Christ in John. He is God. He's the I Am. He's the Word. He's the tabernacle. He's the temple. He is grace. He is reality. He is life. He is the way. He is the resurrection. He's the shepherd. He is the pasture. He is the lamb. He is the reality of the bronze serpent. He is the bridegroom. He's the true vine. He's the living water. He's the true bread. He's the light of life. He's the breath of life. This is Christ. This is Christ in the Gospel of John. So we should expect to be spending the rest of our life becoming the reproduction of one who is light. One who is resurrection. One who is bread. One who is reality. One who is the shepherd. The one who washed the disciples' feet. What a touching scene. He laid aside his garments, girded himself, poured water into a basin, and washed the disciples' feet. He said, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is a sign. So please don't take in the thought that we're either advocating or disallowing a physical practice. But the Gospel of John is a book of signs. In Philemon, Paul writes a letter to a brother and to his household in Colossae. And he said, the inward parts of the saints are refreshed through you, brother. And toward the end, Paul said, refresh my inward parts in the Lord. So here was a brother. When you contacted him, Philemon, after that conversation, you have the heart to go on. You're refreshed. You're renewed. Your spirit is uplifted. Your your faith is strengthened. In other words, someone without realizing it was low enough to make himself under you, not above you, and refresh your being. So the Christ 
who is making us his reproduction according to John, is this all-inclusive Christ. I hope that expression doesn't become or remain simply a term. A hymn of 26 stanzas. Every stanza testifying of reality and experience. So now, based upon Christ being our burnt offering, being the one who is for God, being the one who does the will of God, we are opening ourselves that the spirit of reality would guide us into the reality of what this all-inclusive Christ is. Most of the time, and I'm thankful for this because life is getting increasingly simple, I don't know where I am or what I need. I only know I need the Lord and I need the body. Amen. So I come to him with the assurance, you know where I am. You know what I need. You know what is about to happen. And you know how to prepare me for it. You know what has happened. And you know how to sustain me in it. In recent years... I've come to realize something regarding the Lord's recovery, especially as we are beneficiaries of the New Testament ministry. The truth and the revelation is indescribably profound. But the life practices are exceedingly simple. It's as simple as praying while you're shaving or showering or stuck at a red light because of the slow reflexes of the cars in front of you. (laughs) It's as simple as saying, Lord, I need you as my burnt offering. We can do this, okay? That's all it takes. When the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was demon-possessed came to the Lord, first she addressed him in a rather uplifted way, son of David. He didn't respond to it. Eventually he would ask, what do you want? Like he asked the blind man, what do you want? The blind man didn't say, oh Lord, you can do whatever you want. You are omniscient. He said, Lord, I want to see And she indicated, I want my daughter to be healed. It is a tremendous release to learn to be simple, genuine, and direct with the Lord. Just tell him what's on your heart. Just pray simple prayers. Don't waste energy and time dissecting your lack of absoluteness to the Lord 
than trying to impress him with a real, real serious confession about it. I'm not demeaning confession. I'm demeaning religiosity. Just realize at the outset, we're not for God. We'll never be for God. So let's forget the one who's not for God and enjoy the one who is. So now we have the opportunity in John to see, to experience, and to enjoy the Christ revealed in this gospel. And every aspect of this Christ became reality to a brother who was ambitious, powerful in his emotion, and narrow and biased as a person can be. In other words, if the Lord can gain John, why can't he gain you? What's so downright difficult about you that not even the triune God can gain you? Come on now. Just let him minister to you, shepherd you, supply you, mend you, heal you, cherish you, nourish you, love you, and see what happens. So we are becoming the reproduction of this Christ. So let's just say he impresses you with himself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life, his soul life for the sheep. And now he begins to reproduce himself in you. And then he shows you the connection between John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. John 3.16, we know God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. 1 John 3.16. Herein is love that he laid down his soul life for us. And we ought to lay down our soul lives for the brothers. And now, in you, for the sake of the body, the spirit of reality wants to produce this shepherding Christ who lays down his life that other sheep may have the divine life. Now he's living in you. And you realize something you thought could never possibly happen in you. You love him. And you love the brothers more than you love your own life. You're not a hero. You don't want to be thought of as special. You are just one becoming the reproduction of the good Shepherd. So we're not all going to be experiencing the same aspect of Christ at the same time. We're in different stages. We have different functions, 
different portions. But collectively, corporately, the body is becoming the reproduction of this Christ for the corporate expression. And what's the first aspect? The bride. The bride. Right there in John 3. Being born again must have something to do with the bride. The Lord wants a bride. Again, I believe your pure conscience will bear witness. This is a testimony. It's not a boast. I exist for the body and I breathe for the bride. This is the meaning of my whole life. That the Lord would have the body in reality through which he can live corporately to carry out God's will. And that this built up body would then become the prepared bride adorned for her husband. And we know when the Lord comes openly, he will come to deal with the enemy, to eliminate human government, to establish his kingdom. But when he comes secretly, he's not coming like that. He's coming as the bridegroom. He's coming to get married. This is what is most on his heart. This is the first aspect of his corporate expression. A counterpart who loves me the way I loved her. Whom I have beautified with my own beauty. Whom I have transformed into my own image. She is my reproduction For my satisfaction. Now of course. None of us has any idea. Of what that moment will be like. When the overcomers. Who compose the bride. Are raptured. And meet the bridegroom. But I'm reasonably sure. The Lord will not come on the scene. And be a polite gentleman. And say. How do you do? I am Jesus. (laughs) I get a very different impression from Song of Songs. And I love that line in the hymn on Lord, thou wilt soon appear, thy day is almost here. The line that says, Oh, what an hour sweet when bride and bridegroom meet. So just let me keep strictly divinely now. Let's, let's leave the Ron part out. Strictly divinely. This let me be a little romantic from Song of Songs. Have you ever considered 
the whole process of this courtship causing reproduction, leading to corporate expression, begins and ends with a kiss? Yeah. Song of Songs, chapter 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Then, we expect we'll see this tonight. She goes through a long process from a horse to Shulamite. That's quite a process. She becomes his co-worker. Now her only longing is to be raptured into his presence. And she says, when I see you outside, that is outside the flesh, I will kiss you. So I am not daring to say that the Lord will, how the Lord will greet the bride. But surely it will be indescribably sweet. And let me tell you a personal hope I have. I want to be there with all of you. And that bride is the corporate expression. In John 3, you have the kingdom as the realm of the divine life where God's glory is expressed. In chapter 10, you have the flock. The shepherd himself became a lamb to lay down his life for the sheep. Now there's one flock and one shepherd. In chapter 14, there's the father's house. And in that father's house, the church, there is an abode prepared personally for every believer. From every race, every tribe, every tongue, every nationality. The father does receive some satisfaction. When during the worship of the Father, part of the Lord's table meeting, the Son sings in our singing and we worship the Father. The Father has some satisfaction because many of his sons are home. But the Father cannot be fully satisfied because millions and millions are not in the place prepared. Only in eternity will the Father be able to say, every child, every son, has been fully gained, perfected, and matured. Now I have my rest. If even one is not there, the Father knows. That's why the shepherd expressing the father doesn't go by statistics. I've got 99 out of 100. That's pretty high. Isn't that enough? Where's the one? And then he seeks after the one until he finds it. I have the thought one day to give a message on the word until. He doesn't seek until he's fulfilled his duty. 
until he finds it. And the Lord is going to work in you until you are matured and perfected. Then you have the vine with all the branches. So, isn't this the Gospel of John? Didn't the Word become flesh? To die as the Lamb of God for our redemption and release the divine life? Did not the one grain fall into the ground and die to produce many grains, to become one loaf? Is the bride not a corporate person, the kingdom, the house, the flock? This is becoming the reproduction of Christ actually, experientially, for the corporate expression of the triune God. And this corporate expression will consummate in a universal corporate person, the new Jerusalem. And this will be an indicator that the self is finally gone. We will all be there with tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions. And no one will have the impulse to want to be unique, to be special. We'll all be happy to be among the millions and millions of glorified sons of God. And in preparation for that, whatever our function is, whatever our measure is in carrying out God's economy, our deep inward consciousness and also impression should be I, John, your brother. I'm just a member like you. I'm a brother like you. Now, a couple more things, and we'll read through the outline, and then there'll be ample time for response. Now we're moving toward how this will be worked out, this becoming, how it will be worked out, little by little, in our experience. Okay, first, we need to see two basic processes in this gospel that took place in Christ and that, in principle and in application, will take place in us. And the first, corresponding to the first 12 chapters of John's gospel, is incarnation. This is God coming into man, bringing himself into humanity as life, as light, as grace, as reality, as love, as peace. So as we contact the Lord, we should have the realization that the Lord wants to dispense himself into us to give himself to us, to incarnate himself in us, to work himself in us, according to the principle of incarnation. And this part is indescribably precious and sweet 
Just like the food we eat, it becomes us. It's worked into us. It sustains us. But John chapter 13 is a turning point and introduces the second aspect of this process, and that is resurrection. The Lord is trying to comfort the apostles. He had to tell them, I'm going away so I can come again. It's good for you that I go away. No human heart can just believe that the one you love going away is good for you. But the Lord knew, I need to pass through death and enter into resurrection. Then in resurrection, I will bring you where I am. In resurrection, you will be in me, I will be in you, and where I am, you will be. So experientially, we are undergoing incarnation, more of God and Christ as the Spirit is being imparted to us, and then increasingly, and I hope to comfort you regarding this, we need to pass through the other aspect, death and resurrection. The corporate expression of God in any of its aspects is altogether in the resurrection life of Christ. And what is somewhat in my heart? And what I want to say is not based merely on objective truth. It's based upon the experience in the body, and my own experience. We do not have to be afraid of this aspect of the process. The Lord made it very clear in John 2. You destroy this body, my physical body, which is the temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. And it will be a universal, mystical body containing myself and millions of believers. The Lord increases in us. The Lord spreads throughout the earth. And the Lord obtains his corporate expression through incarnation, and through death and resurrection. There's no other way. In John 12, 24, when the Lord said, referred to himself as the grain of wheat, falling into the ground and dying to produce many grains, he went on to say, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Okay, to serve him in what? To follow him where? 
He was the one grain. He allowed the shell to be broken through death to release the divine life for his reproduction and corporate expression. Then he says, if you love your soul life, you'll lose it. If you hate your soul life in this age, you will save it. He makes it clear, will you serve me? Then you follow me. Now here for a moment, let me just open my heart to you and tell you what is most on my heart for the continuation of the Lord's recovery until he comes. We do not know when our Lord will rapture his overcomers. So on the side of prudence and practicality, we need to be prepared for a long journey yet, humanly speaking. We need brothers and sisters, but let me emphasize the brothers part, that can bear real responsibility in the churches. I say amen to the development of that. We need brothers that in a coordinated way can join the present co-workers in the work. I know others are burdened for this and their portion is to develop this. But that's not what's on my heart. What would happen if real ministry stops? Instead, you only have a number of intelligent, gifted brothers eloquently giving messages, but no ministry. My heart aches concerning that, but my heart is full of hope and the belief that between now and the time the Lord comes for his bride, he will raise up another generation of genuine ministers and there will be brothers matched by the sisters prepared for them by God as their companions they will have a sense even in their youth I want to give myself to you for this this was the way of the apostles This was the way of Brother Nee without Brother Lee. If those two grains of wheat had not fallen to the ground and died, none of us would be here this morning. If I were still alive, I would be enjoying retirement as a Presbyterian minister somewhere. An unbearable thought. (laughs) 
So there are these two lines that will be applied to us by the spirit of reality according to where we are and according to God's intention. So we should expect day by day we come to the Lord to receive his dispensing according to the principle of incarnation. And then like Paul, we should eventually have the aspiration to be fully brought into resurrection for the Lord's expansion. Now the last point, then I can read the outline to solidify these. I mentioned the life practices are very simple. And some of the prayers uttered by Brother Lee in his last days and put into a song illustrate this. He said, Lord, I love you. I really love you. Without you, life's really nothing. So according to John, as we are becoming the reproduction of this marvelous all-inclusive Christ for this corporate expression in many aspects, what should we do? Eat, drink, and breathe. Didn't you enjoy singing him 811? Wasn't that inspiring? Fill all my hunger. Quench all my thirst. Feed me, Lord Jesus. Give me to drink. In the upcoming winter training, crystallization study of Ezekiel, part one. We thought there would be only one part, but you get into it, the Lord's leading becomes more definite. One of the crystals will be about Ezekiel's eating the scroll, the word, and causing his stomach to eat. And as I'm working on this outline, I myself had the realization personally And the Spirit knows to what extent this extends corporately. I need a recovery of eating Jesus. There's a time to explore the high peak of the divine revelation. And there's a time to just simply sit down and feed on the bread of life. I think we can do this. That bread is the all-inclusive Christ who's going to reproduce himself in you. And then we need to drink. Drink of the water he gives us until we can say sincerely, this water is springing up into me, is gushing up into eternal life. And we can say, right now, rivers of living water are streaming out of my inward parts. 
I received a, a text early this morning. You could never guess from whom. <laughs> but there was a prayer blessing about my brother, may the Lord flow through you. And then breath. In 242, the sufferings of human life, the Lord's rising and reigning too, the effectiveness of his death, they're all in the Spirit's breath. We need to have a vision of the breath. Sometimes you're about to call, Oh, Lord Jesus, as soon as you say, oh, the breath comes. And the breath knows what you need. The breath knows where you are. Praise the Lord for the breath. We still have hymn 255 in our hymnal. About breathing. So I hope you have somewhat of a picture through this very, I don't, I don't know if this, Probably this is not the opening word to the message. Probably this is the message itself. (laughs) But I'm not going to analyze what it is. You just see, don't you see in John, Christ reproducing himself through regeneration. And the Christ who's being reproduced in us is such an all-inclusive Christ. And we need to have very particular and specific experiences of him. In whatever way, the spirit of reality knows we need. Then the goal of it all is not that we be spiritual, outstanding persons. We just be one grain, one branch, one sheep, one child, one citizen, one part of the bride, that's good enough. Now we enter into the realm of the corporate expression of the triune God. And we can say sincerely to the glory of God, I know why I live. I know why I'm still here with you all. It's for the body, it's for the bride, it's for the kingdom, it's for the new Jerusalem. Okay, now reading through outline two. The Gospel of John is a book on the life of God and the building of God. Life is for building. And building is of life. This life is the eternal life. Life is the content. And and building is the corporate expression of the content. So the content is Christ's life reproduced in us. The corporate expression of the content is the corporate expression of the triune God. God's goal is the building. 
So that Christ, who is being formed in us, will increasingly direct us toward God's goal. Humanly, you have some practical goals to develop and sustain your human life. But your intrinsic goal is the same as God's. The enemy trembles when he encounters a group of people for whom God's goal is their goal. And the Lord has graced you. Don't doubt. If God's goal were not your goal, you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. What a mercy that his goal is ours. Life is God himself. (coughs) Some of us remember August 1974 when Brother Lee was wheeled in to the convention center in a wheelchair. The life study of Romans scheduled for that summer had to be canceled and replaced by something else. Some brothers spoke on on life. When Brother Lee came in, he couldn't speak. They played a recording. And the opening lines are unforgettable. Life is mysterious, for life is God himself. And building is the corporate expression of the triune God as life in a corporate body. The Christ who is reproducing himself in you is making you life. Right? Your spirit is life. That's Romans 8.10. That's what it says. Part of you is Zoe. The mindset on the spirit is life. We're not told our mortal body is life. It can't be. It's still subject to death. But right now, according to Romans 8.11... The spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to our mortal bodies. Now the young have no understanding of mortal body. But some of us that are not young, we really appreciate this verse. Lord, give life to my mortal body so I can stand here on my flat feet for 75 minutes to let the river flow. B, the Gospel of John reveals that the triune God is dispensing himself as life into his believers. And that the believers, as the result of this dispensing, become the building of God. His expression, expansion, enlargement, and corporate expression. When you come to the Lord personally, what do you think he wants to do? What's your thought? Do you think he's out to to get you? Do you think he's set on dealing with you? I would never say, since God is the God of Jacob, that he will not assign the discipline of the Holy Spirit's dealings. But his heart 
is to give himself to you through dispensing. It means a lot to him, and it will mean a lot to you if you realize this when you come to him. There's wisdom in that old, old gospel hymn. Just as I am, without one plea. Based upon the blood of Jesus, Lord, I come to you under the cleansing of your blood to receive the divine dispensing. Then the Lord shines on something that you need to clear up in order to receive the dispensing. What is in his heart is to give himself to you through dispensing. Why not just let him do it? Every day, live in the divine dispensing. That will have a result produced by the law of the spirit of life. You don't have to even try to do it. It will make you corporate. Part of his corporate expression. Two, according to the gospel of John, Christ has a reproduction. And in his reproduction, he is a grain of wheat. This is probably the clearest description of reproduction leading to something corporate. We are so thankful. That when the Lord was on the cross, in the first three hours, he was mocked, blasphemed by his tormentors. One of the things he said, they said to him, if you're the son of God, save yourself, come down from the cross. Then they said this, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Don't we just worship him? He saved us instead of saving his own soul life. That there was such a person that would love the Father and love us more than his own life at 33 and a half. That he made a choice. No, I will not save myself. I will not pull the nails out and come down and astound everyone. I'll let them think. I'll let the enemy think for a moment. They defeated me. But the enemy now knows what an idiot and what a dummy and what a fool he is. Because when he Cause our Lord to be crucified. He himself was destroyed. So the Lord did not keep confined in the shell of his humanity. The divine life. So he fell into the ground. And died to release it. His death is a life-releasing death. And ministry participates in this aspect, not the redemptive aspect. We cannot participate. We can only receive the benefit. But in this life-releasing death, 
Now there are many grains. But brothers and sisters, God's goal is not to have a gigantic bag of microwave popcorn (laughs) full of unbroken shells of grain that are associated together. The metaphor breaks down because even when you put it in the microwave, they pop, but they're not blended, right? And so it's really good. There are many grains. So this morning there are many grains. We look to the Lord for many, many more grains. That's the reproduction. But if the reproduction is to result in corporate expression, something has to happen to all of these grains. And there's no way to get around it. So I won't do that. I can't do that in faithfulness. It'll be your turn in the way designed for you to experience the breaking of your shell. For the outflowing of the divine life within you. It is this breaking and outflowing in all of us that issues in blending. Now, instead of just a multitude of grains as the reproduction, there is one loaf as the corporate expression. I'm not urging you to go back and read the breaking of the outer man for the release of the spirit. Neither am I discouraging you. Either way, please realize the shell is broken. Not so that the shell can say, there stands before you a broken shell. (laughs) What I'm referring to is something I saw in 1967, unforgettable. This is back in the ancient times when you had a stand-up mic in the meeting. You didn't have what I am hooked up with. And one very large brother who with his wife was meeting with us for a while. He must have been six, six or seven. Don, you were there. Named Caleb. Caleb McAfee. Just remember him. And just huge. So he would pick up the microphone. He said, everyone laughs when I do this. And then he said, there stands before you a broken man. (laughs) This was his feeling. But the perception of the body was, there stands before us a uncracked shell of a man. And so, you know, we look to the Lord for his covering and protection, but corporate expression doesn't come cheaply. We sang, for your building, I give all. We sang that. Build me, Lord, with other saints. Independence never allow. 
but according to your plan, fitly frame and join me now. In experience, not my boast, nor in gifts would be my pride. For your building, I give all that you may be glorified. Then who is going to give himself to the Lord? To have the experience of the grain that the Lord had. If there's not a governing glorious vision. There in front of you. For this. I make a choice. I either live for this. By falling into the ground and dying. Or I spend the rest of my life struggling to save myself and protect myself. But when you see that vision, you sense the Lord's longing for the bride, then you are willing to follow in the footsteps of those that have gone before us and just say, Lord, I give myself to you. I am in Europe. One brother who is about to go to a certain city, I know him very well since the time he was born. He wanted some fellowship. So I gave him some fellowship. Don't go there as a hero. Go there as a grain. As a grain. So as the grain of wheat, the Lord Lord Jesus fell into the ground and died in order to produce many grains as his reproduction. In Christ's resurrection, we are his reproduction. When Christ was resurrected, we, his believers, were all included in him. We were all resurrected with him. In his resurrection, Christ imparted the divine life into us and made us the many grains. The same as he is in life and nature to be his reproduction and his multiplication. So the many grains... That's the stage of reproduction. The many grains becoming one loaf, that's the stage of corporate expression. And in the time we are on earth, as believers, and as those in the Lord's recovery, it comes down to this. We will, we will either experience certain things Or we will not. The Lord will have a way to gain us and bring us to maturity for his body and bride. Or he will not. In the 50 years I have been here. I have witnessed the vast majority of my generation being in the not category. And in 1988, 1989, some of those I had known from the beginning, they left. Others who remained were stranded. But those who took this way, they became a pattern. Their very presence in the church Simply having Sister Lee be with us all those years as a widow. Her simple presence in the meeting. Even meeting her and exchanging greetings. 
That was part of the pattern. I'm taking this way. When there was that upheaval in 88 and 89, I was in Irving. It was very easy to come to a decision. I just compared this brother, J.I., and this brother, W.L. Which way will I take? So now it's our turn not to be heroes. But the corporate expression doesn't come lightly. It doesn't come cheaply. But every aspect of the process, I would say it's an honor to be included. It's a blessing to participate. See, the first grain, the first God-men was the prototype. And the many grains, the many God-men are the mass reproduction. This is the reproduction of God. Now I finish the last little section. The reproduction of Christ is for the church as the corporate expression of the triune God. In his resurrection, the Lord Jesus rebuilt God's temple in a larger way, making it a corporate one, the mystical body of Christ. So if the Lord allows death to come, just wait for the third day. A few years ago, I was asked to go to a blending conference in all cities of North America, Cleveland, Ohio. And the churches from Ohio and that region came together. And I had the feeling to, in an unknown key, as always, to sing a little song to them about how I see their present and future. The third day has dawned, the saints are going on, the glory of the Lord is coming out. All around us we can see the Lord's resurrection glory, hallelujah, the third day has dawned. The third day, resurrection, produces corporate expression. The Father's house is a matter of the triune God through incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection, working himself into the believers in order to be fully mingled with them so that he may build them up as an organism for his dwelling and expression. The Father's house. What chapter has been more distorted by theologians and preachers than John 14? The Father's house is the church, not heaven. Then the last point is very endearing. In John 12, 1 through 11, it portrays a miniature of the church life produced by Christ's resurrection for God's expression. So there you have the house, the house of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. In chapter 11, I'll be exceedingly brief. The sisters sent kind of a coded message to the Lord. The one whom you love is sick. 
The message is because you love him, you will come right now and intervene and heal our brother. But we know the Lord didn't do it. Then he encountered all kinds of expressions of the self. Eventually, everyone was subdued. And he resurrects Lazarus. So according to the sign, in chapter 12, you have a picture in miniature of the church life in resurrection. There you have someone, Lazarus, whose presence testifies of resurrection. Then you have Mary. First, let me say Martha. Serving. You compare those few words, and Martha served, with Martha the opinionated in chapter 11. You compare that with Martha in Luke 10, who is busy serving, and she comes to the Lord and says to him, doesn't it matter to you that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and help me. That's strong stuff. But don't give up on Martha. I often say this because Martha is so excellent in her practical service. We cannot have the church life without Martha. But because Martha is so strong in herself, we cannot have the church life with Martha either. (laughs) So what are we supposed to do? Don't give up on Martha. In chapter 12, Martha is serving in resurrection. And then Mary is there. She's still doing nothing. (laughs) She's just there anointing the Lord, breaking the flask. The house is filled with the fragrance. There's just a lovely atmosphere of the miniature of the church life in a home, in resurrection. So one says the church is a life of feasting in and with the presence of the Lord. In the church life, there should always be a feast for the Lord to enjoy and for us to enjoy with him. It is in the church that the Lord has rest, enjoyment, and satisfaction. Mary represents those who love the Lord very much and who pour out what they hold most precious upon him. So what the Lord will produce as he's reproducing himself is we will all have three names. Let's put them in this order. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, you're in resurrection, and in resurrection, the Lord is more dear than ever before. You love him more now than ever before. And then our service, our practical service, is brought into resurrection, and the result is just a sweet and fragrant church life. What is portrayed in John 12, 1 through 11 is a real expression 
of the body of Christ, which is a vessel to contain Christ and to express him. Welcome to Bethany, the sweet corporate expression of the triune God composed of believers willing to become the resurrect the reproduction of Christ by eating, drinking, and breathing. Thank the Lord we're in the process of becoming. Please pray for a minute with someone nearby, then the brothers will direct us.